Father God, I thank you for this day that you've given to us and for this time that we have to not only worship you in song, but to worship you in truth. God, I pray as this word is opened and shared that, Father, this vessel would decrease and you would increase. That it wouldn't be the words of merely Chris Howard that are spoken this morning. Father, these words are far greater than anything I could ever say. May we hear your words this morning, and may we be convicted by your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, and may we leave this place a changed people because of you and none other. God, help me to speak where I need to speak and stay silent where I need to be silent. May you be honored and glorified. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you. Would you please be seated and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. A couple of weeks ago, I had uh, a privilege of helping one of our sister churches uh, in Vassar. Their pastor was, was unable to preach one Sunday, and they asked if I would do that. And my lovely wife, she I can't remember now if it was a text or a phone call. It was probably a text. Text me... Four words. And I'd ask for you to venture guess what those four words are, but I don't know if I want to hear what your thoughts might be. All right? But it was simply, don't say anything stupid. Right? Now, I'm not saying that to throw my wife under the bus. I'm saying that because my wife is smart. And and I can say stupid things sometimes. Right? And so as I prayed this morning... May God be glorified, may I decrease, may I say what he wants to say, not what I think needs to be said, and may I stay silent where I need to be silent. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, I think, well, no, I don't think this, because he, he, he tackled a good, uh, difficult passage before, but, but if you've read ahead at all, and you've looked at the last part of Genesis chapter 19, uh, it's an interesting subject, to say the least. Right? And you might think that Pastor Mark decided to go on vacation and leave this one to me to make it easier on him. <laughs> to which I would say I doubt it uh, because he's already tackled some pretty heavy topics. Right? No pastor likes to stand up here and talk about the circumcision. Okay? He handled that very well. Right? He, he handled uh, last week's uh, passage very well, very biblically. And so it is not fear by any means. Um, but this is the passage that I just happened to draw. Right, And uh, as I was reading through this, I could just read this text. That's kind of why I'm foregoing the scripture reading this morning. I could just read it through. It's a narrative kind of a thing, and it's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, we're going to get to lunch in about five minutes because it's not going to take long to read and explain what you can read for yourself. Right? And so it's important that we know kind of how we got here a little bit. Setting the stage is incredibly important for what took place and how and why these daughters could think to do what they did. Right? And so um, if you could hit next. No, it's not working again. That's fine. We don't need a title slide. I could just tell you what it is. All right. The, the title of the message this morning is Fear or Faith. Question mark. How are you living your life today? Are you allowing fear to dictate your life, to dictate your decisions, uh, to dictate fill in the blank? Right? What is it? Is it fear? Are you leading a life of fear or are you leading a life of faith? 
We have two individuals that we've been discussing at length over the last number of chapters here, and that'd be Abram, Abraham, and Lot. Right? And we see these two together, and then we see them separate and kind of follow two different paths. One who is following God by faith, and one who is more or less following God by fear. And allowing fear to dictate his choices and his actions. We saw back in Genesis 13, verses 8 through 11, uh, how this split came about. Right? And Abraham said to Lot, which way would you like to go? Very basically, it says in Scripture, you want to go left or right? That's what it says, right? If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. So what does Lot do? Right? He lifts up his head and uses his eyes, and he looks for which place looks the best to him. Which is the most attractive? Right? Which is going to be the most fun? Which is going to, to, to scratch all of my itches, so to speak? Right, and he looks and he finds one and he sees that uh, the Jordan Valley, it was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt and in the direction of Zoar. And so with his eyes, he makes a decision where he wants to go. Later on, we get to the beginnings of chapter 19, and in verses 15 through 29, we see what's taking place, that these angels come, uh, that, that God, because of Abraham, is going to take care of Lot, and so is, is escorting him out or, or giving them, uh, his family, the, the warning that you need to leave up, take your wife and your two daughters uh, who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. In verse 16, but he lingered. Okay, So again, a man not living his life by faith, living his life through fear, right? I got I to gotta check this out first. Okay, God, what? Okay, let me look around. Let me decide for myself. I've heard what you said. You suggested, okay. Now let me kind of decide. Let me take a look and, and survey the situation. The angels went on to say, escape uh, for your life. Do not, back, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. So God's telling them where to go. Go to the hills. You will be safe there. Again, does he go straight to the hills? No. He looks with his eyes again and makes his own decision, and he actually suggests to God another course of action. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand and be this vulnerable this morning, but how many of us have ever suggested to God, volunteered information to God of how or a way in which he should or could? You know where I'm going. Been there. We all done that, right? What was the song? Uh, who has given counsel to the Lord? That sounds so nice, but who's told God what to do? That's what it's saying, right? This is a man who is leading his life by fear. So here we are at verse 30, right? So he wants to go to Zoar. That's where he's choosing to go. He's going that direction. And then we pick up in verse 30, and it says, Now Lot went up out of Zoar. Wait a minute, dude. You like to move a lot. Anybody here like to move? You love just packing all your stuff up in boxes, moving it to another location, unpacking everything. Oh, that was fun. Let's do it again. Right? No, I, I don't think there's too many nomadic people that like to do that all the time. Right? It's been Veterans Day, right? And military families tend to be the ones that move around a lot. And most that I know don't like that. 
Well, here he is. So point one I'm calling moving day again. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters. For he was afraid. Oh, there's that word. So it's not just me. God says it, right? He was afraid to live in Zoar, right? He saw what took place elsewhere, and he is terrified the same thing's going to happen in Zoar, and so that's not a safe place. Let's go to the hills, which we would all look at the text and be like, why didn't you just do that in the first place? Right, parents? You never said that to your kids before, right? So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. That's how we start. Now, you can imagine, parents, maybe you've heard the phrase, what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. Right? Have you heard that phrase before? Or what this generation does in moderation, the next generation will do it. Okay? Basically put, uh, the next generation, your kids, they are watching you. They see what you do. They hear what you say, and then they see if you're going to practice what you preach. Right? There's a word for that. Anybody? Hypocrisy? Right? When I was at a camp years ago, we taught the junior kids this song called Hippocritter. Has anybody ever heard that song before? A couple people, right? This is great. Hippocritter, hippocritter, you say one thing and do the oppositer. It's a phony line full of empty glitter. God's not pleased with a counterfeiter. See, that's great. This is a good song. We should sing. Christian, add that to the repertoire. Next Sunday, we're going to sing hypocrite, right? right? But, but we understand that as children, and yet as adults, we ignore it. Here we have a man, Lot, who is living his life, maybe suggesting and saying that I'm a godly man, but then his actions go contrary. Right? I'm a godly man, but I want to go live uh, in, uh, on the strip in Las Vegas. I want to go to Sin City because all of the lights, all of the food, all the, everything looks so wonderful and enticing to my sin nature, and I want to live there. I will be a light in the darkness, right? We all know what happens to a, a solo light in the darkness, okay? It's the same idea if I stood on a chair right now. Is it easier to pull me off the chair or for me to pick you up, pull me down? Right? These girls, they know dad. They hear what dad says. They see then how dad acts and responds. And we found that uh, in, in Sodom, that Lot was at the gate. So he's obviously gotten to a point where he has, has, has gotten to be a part of this town. Quite literally, is a part of the town now. So you might say he is, he's one of those silent Christians. You know, maybe if somebody asks me a question directly, I'll answer it, but maybe not go out and just freely give it. The daughters see his behavior. They see how he is. And so because of that, in part, now don't, don't get me wrong, kids, you can't just say, well, you're my parent, you made me do it, okay? This is not one of those things that your parents make you sin, okay? You choose that. All right, did you hear that, kids, teens? You, everybody, you choose to sin, nobody else. All right? But I think we can also understand the way in which we raise our children matters. Amen? So here we get. We're going to get to now verse 31. This is the perceived problem. Right? It's perceived. Right? Perceived does not necessarily mean it's, ac- it's true or is actually there. 
right? I have a daughter. She goes to bed. We put her down. And what happens? She comes walking out with her blankie. I'm scared. What are you scared of? I don't know. I'm scared, right? This is a perceived fear. Right? There's nothing to be scared of in her room, but she comes out to us with the perception that, that there's a problem. Well, here we have these daughters with a perceived problem. Verse 31, And the firstborn, the oldest, said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Right? There's a perception here. We think that there's a problem. Right? The oldest is coming to the youngest saying, we got a problem here. It's just dad. Dad and us. There's no other man on earth. Does that sound hyperbolic or what? Right now, some of you maybe have either heard someone say or you've said, I wouldn't date you if you was the last man on earth. Right? Something to that effect, right? Well, this is kind of where they're at. They're like, there's no one else. So either this is a depressed hyperbole or she actually believes that the destruction that they witnessed was total and widespread over all the earth. I'm leaning towards the, 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 the depressed hyperbole. All right? So she is perceiving a problem that is not actually there. And I would suggest, like father, allowing fear to determine and dictate their course of actions, the girls are doing the same thing. It's like, oh, yeah, there's no one else. I don't know how long they've been up in these ca this cave. I don't know how they've been living like this, all right? But suffice it to say, they've not seen another person. Certainly not another man. So with this perceived problem, verse 32 comes a, a perceived solution, Right? They've got the solution, or so they think. It says, come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, and we may pres uh, that we may preserve offspring from our father. A couple of things wrong here. Ready? For starters, you see the word, let us and we, that we. This is a very selfish, inward focus here, Right? Because they are living by fear, not by faith, they are not trusting in God. Right? If they are trusting fully in God to take care and supply all their needs and all those things, don't you think that, oh, there's no men for us, but I trust God. God will either bring one or let us get out and find a husband or it's God. He could create another one, right? This is God. They don't have faith in God. They are putting all of their faith in themselves, therefore leading their life by fear. And so it's a, hey, let us make a decision. Let us decide how to do this. Let us devise a plan. And I got a good one. We'll get dad drunk, and then I'll go lie with him. Every daughter in this room is going, no. Not a good choice. They, they, they want to preserve offspring from their father, they say. And we'll talk about that in just a second. All right, but first we have a perceived solution that we're going to go do these things. And that's going to somehow fix our perceived problem. Verse 33, we have a perceived problem. 
which brings a perceived solution, which leads to actual sin. Right? You're not going to have perceived problems, perceived solutions, and then have perceived sin. Okay? Those perceptions are going to lead to actual sin, which we see in verse 33. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Hmm. So of course, whether you're not sure about this or not, that, that phrase lay with does indeed come from the Hebrew word shakav, which means uh, or is a euphemism for sexual activity. All right, That's what happened. Went in and had sex with dad. This is not, uh, I got scared and I'm going to go and cuddle with mom and dad for a little bit until I'm not scared anymore. Okay, no, this is, is definitely uh, sexual activity is taking place. This is their perceived solution for their perceived problem. And so they acted upon it, or the oldest does here, acts upon that. There is sin. Now, we, we've heard, we, we know what Scripture talks about being tempted, right? Temptations, all are tempted. Jesus Christ himself was tempted, yet without sin. So to be tempted is one thing. You're not sinning. It's what you do with that temptation. Are you going to act on it or not? These girls choose to act on the temptation or this uh, solution that they have come up with. And so, yes, verse 33 very much brings forth the sin. And then she owns it. She says, behold, I lay last night with my father. So it's like she comes to her younger sister and says, mission complete. Usually when good things happen and you say mission complete, there's applause and good things. I don't know if there was really applause here. Certainly not from the perspective of God the Father. So what happens after this? They realize their sin. They fall on their knees in repentance before the Lord and all is well. Put on your best bobblehead. Mm -mm. We get to essentially rinse and repeat, right? Goes on and says, let us make him drunk, or let us make him drink wine also tonight also. Let's do it again. And this is the older sister still talking. Then you, younger sister, go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So again, you hear that phrase, that we may preserve offspring from from our Father. So to me, as I'm looking at this text, I'm thinking this is their excuse, right? Anybody here have any experience with excuses? All right, I'm going to assume everybody's hand is in the air, even though it's not, okay? Wait, we all have experience with this, right? And as I'm looking at this, it's, it's kind of like she's doing this, um, you know, ends justify the means kind of thing. Now, Understand here, in their uh, Near Eastern culture, this uh, preserving of offspring from the father, uh, you know, to have the absence of a blood heir was akin to being erased from history altogether. So to some degree, in their culture, you can recognize that, okay, the girls are a little scared because if, if Lot does not have a male heir, then their whole lineage, their whole line is just going to disappear into history because this is how their culture works. So you could say that and, and say that, that, okay, that gives a little weight to the, the perceived problem, but that certainly doesn't give any credence to their perceived solution, does it? 
Now I say that, but we also have to consider where we're at in time. We're in Genesis 19. There is, there, there started with Adam and Eve, okay, and, and they had children. Who are their children going to have children with? Right? And so there was a time where this behavior, this incest and stuff was, was uh, permissible. All right? We eventually get to Leviticus chapter 18 and then some laws are put into place. Right? There's enough population on the earth where God now institutes this law. We're not quite there yet. However, I would suggest to you that the girls know that this is still a wrong choice. How do I know? Why would you devise getting dad drunk in the first place? Huh? Why not just say, hey, Dad, we need to preserve your, uh, your line. And there's no other guys, so this is kind of where we're at. They didn't do that. That suggests to me that they know that their, choices, their choice here was wrong. The wrong choice. Because, again, they were leading their life by fear, not by faith. Faith would just believe what God says, which we will see with Abraham and Isaac shortly. Verse 35, we've repeated the, the, the perceived solution, and now comes the re repetition of the actual sin. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. So here we go, round two. Now, we've heard this many times. Pastor Mark has said it. I say it to the teens all the time. Life is choices. Choices have consequences. Make the right choices. Life has choices. And here in verse 36, we're going to see some consequences. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn, or yeah, the firstborn, the eldest, bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger also bore a son and called his name Benami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Here we see consequences. Right? Now, to uh, sinful sexual activity, there are a number of consequences that can, that can come of that. All right? Sometimes it could be uh, that there is a child, right? but not always. But there are other complications. There are other consequences. There are physical consequences. There are emotional consequences. There are psychological consequences. There are consequences to sin, folks. We know this, right? And here, now they may not have viewed it as a consequence because this is what they wanted, but it is a consequence nevertheless. Verses 36 through 38, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they're both related to Abraham. They're related by their incestuous beginnings between Lot, who is actually Abraham's nephew, if we remember, and Lot's daughters. Fear led these girls to make the decisions that they made. Parents, this is where I connect the dots to Lot. Had he lived a life that was more godly and raised these girls by example in a better fashion, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have made a bad decision. But I think logically we can think that they would have had a better example to draw from with their father to make a better choice 
Would you agree? So for you parents, what I'm seeing for you and for me in this text is how we live our life, what we say and what we do in, in, in our life, but especially in the sight of our children, matters. It lays a groundwork for them of how to live their life, how to make choices in their life, what is good, what is bad, right, wrong. And we better, mom and dad, be so rooted in God's word that this is dictating to us what is right and wrong. Amen? Train up a child in the way he should go, that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Consequences. Maybe you're here tonight and you're allowing fear to lead your life. Maybe your choices, your decisions are, are, are based on you're afraid of losing this or gaining that or whatever. There's some external stimuli or whatever that is causing you fear and is leading you down whatever choice path you are going down. There will be consequences to those choices. But we can't end there. We can't end a text in, in, in the pit, right? And God doesn't either. Now, you may be looking at this text and you're like, great, where are you going to find anything good here, right? There's actually hope in this text. Would you like to see it with me here this morning? We have a few minutes. Let's look at some hope here before we close. In verse 37, we see the hope. It says, the firstborn, the eldest daughter, she bore a son and called his name what? Moab. Right? Now, the, the kind of sick humor here is that his name uh, sounds like the, the Hebrew phrase, from father. So that's kind of some sick humor, okay, because this child is from her father, okay? So that's kind of weird. But the hope that we have here, the hope comes in descendants. We know Abraham. We know Abraham is going to have Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Perez and Hezron, Ram, Am, uh, Aminat. I said it a million times and I knew I was going to tongue-tied here. Aminadab, Nashon, Sam, uh, Salmon, and Boaz. And then Boaz has Obed, Jesse, and David, King David, which is all in the line of Jesus. Where's the hope? This is Lot we're talking about. What's his descendant line? Well, he has a son via his daughter. They name him, or she names him Moab, father of the Moabites. Let's trickle down that line for a little bit. Who is the most famous Moabite woman that you've ever heard of? Ruth, absolutely, right? And Ruth, uh, following along with her mother-in-law, Naomi, comes back uh, to Naomi's home, right? And she catches the eye of Boaz, Right? And, and under God's perfect plan and with his perfect blessing, Boaz and Ruth get married. They have Obed, who has Jesse, who has David, da 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 da. Jesus. Amen? So where is the hope in the text? The text is that even though there was, there was sin, there was this, this incestual conception that took place, my goodness, only God can take such garbage and make it beautiful. 
Only God can do this. Only God can for you. This is where the hope is for you and me. Only God can take the garbage in your life, the sinfulness in your life, and restore you, clean that up, cure you from your sin, forgive you from your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Am I getting too peppy yet? Right? Cleanse us from that and restore us. Reconcile us to himself and make something beautiful out of you. Ecclesiastes talks about uh, in God's time. He makes everything beautiful. Uh, 3.11 maybe. Ecclesiastes 3.11 I think. Somewhere in there. Right? He makes everything beautiful in its time. And I'm going to do something with you that I did with our senior hires on Wednesday. I don't have the papers for you. Because that would have been a lot of printing and writing and all that kind of stuff. But what I did, we, we've been going, uh, talking about sin. About how we have been cursed by sin, but then also the cure for sin. And on Wednesday, we talked about 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fact. Truth. All right? So what I'm going to ask for you to do, you don't have this paper to, to write this down. But I'm going to ask you to be um, vulnerable. I'm going to ask you to, to dig down deep in your heart and in your life and think right now, what is that one thing? What is that unconfessed sin that maybe you're holding on to or that fear that is driving you and making those decisions for you? What is that for you? So everyone, think about that in your own heart and mind right now, quite literally. What is it? What is the sin? What is the fear? What is driving you? What is keeping you from perfect fellowship with God? What is that sin? Because I see here in the text that God is capable of overcoming all of it. How do I know? Because John already says that he has overcome the world. And so you and I here this morning have the, can have the hope that Jesus hears your prayers and he is going to forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness because that's exactly what he said he would do. So right now, we're going to bow our heads and there'll be a little time of, of silent reflection and prayer. I would like for you to take just a few moments between you and God because we already have Jesus as our mediator between us and God. He is our perfect high priest, amen? Right, so you can talk, Jesus hears, and he communicates that to God on your behalf, right? So let's bow our heads. Let's individually spend a few moments talking to God and asking him to forgive us, to forgive you for that sin, that fear, whatever it is that you're holding on to that you need to get rid of. Let's pray. Father, I can only imagine how overjoyed you are right now to have heard the confessions of your people. 
for us to know that we can come to you with anything. We can come to you with our most joyous news and our most disgusting baggage and trash. And you will listen. God, I thank you for this text. Because yes, it it depicts for us a, a bad situation and bad choices. But it also points to who you truly are that you are the Redeemer. You are the one that can take us in our lowest of lows and raise us up. And God, we're calling upon you in your word this morning that it is true and that when you say that when we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive them, we know that to be the case. We know that not only have our sins been forgiven, but that we have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. God, may we turn our eyes upon you this day, regardless of whichever circumstance we're coming from, because there are 240 different circumstances in this room, that regardless of where we're coming from, you love us and you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to provide us with eternal life. Father, if there's someone here that has not turned their eyes to you, that has not seen the light, has not accepted your free gift of salvation, may you not give them a moment's rest until they seek one of us out. Seek me, seek someone else out here within our church that knows you to introduce them to you today. God, you hear our prayers, and Father, you're going to hear our worship. May you be honored and glorified in it as we turn our eyes to you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Oh God